this is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Tree Blosser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary, sponsored by local Rotarians, your friends dedicated to service. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People sharing ways to improve your life. And today our special guest is Carl Rotans, who is the senior instructor of Puppies Behind Bars. And I'm I'm fascinated to learn more about this. So am I, and good morning, Carl Rotans. Good morning, Jonah. Thank you for, and Sarah, thank you for inviting us. It's our pleasure. Now, what are puppies behind bars? These are not bad dogs who have flunked out of of, uh, obedience school. These are the good dogs, actually. The good dogs get to go behind bars. Now, Carl, you know why Jonah needs to qualify this down to the finest, minutest detail? I have to be in obedience school, don't I? Now, because, well, besides that, because he's been in the law enforcement industry in Mm -hmm. his entire career. So when you start bringing up puppy anything behind bars, you've piqued his interest. So tell tell us what it means. Sure. Puppies Behind Bars is a nonprofit organization which trains prison inmates to raise puppies to become service dogs for disabled veterans and explosive detection canines for law enforcement. Well, that's that's fascinating. When you say service dogs, you mean like seeing eye dogs and not guide dogs. Service Uh dogs are not guide dogs; they're different categories. A service dog uh, will train our dogs in a two-year time period to learn over ninety commands and tasks. They will do such things for their disabled veteran as open and close doors, turn on and off light switches, take dishes from the table and drop them in the sink, make the bed. They'll even dial 911 on the phone. That's amazing. It's amazing. And Jonah, did you know that when you meet a service dog, you're not supposed to treat it like a puppy, like a a friend dog, because they're a working dog and they really have tasks to do. They usually have a vest on, right, Carl? They're Let's identified service dog. Right, and right. badges they, and things, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Usually have yeah. a vest on. Our graduates all have vest on. would identify them as a Puppies Behind Bars graduate. And there's also uh, a patch on there which says, please do not pet me. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, at least without permission, I would think. Exactly. What breed um, is the most commonly used for this effort? We use Labrador Retrievers. Um, right now, we have 80 dogs in program in six different correctional facilities, and they're all Labrador Retrievers. We get them from a few select breeders around the country that we work with. With that breeds specifically for us. They're breeding for health and for temperament um, for this very special kind of dog. Well, Paul wow. Rotan, Senior Instructor of Puppy Behind Bars, um, how did this program get started where the prison inmates are teaching these uh, service, training these service dogs? We've been around, this is our 16th year. We started out uh, in 1997. Our president and founder, Gloria Gilbert Stoga, had an idea years before um, after reading an article about a veterinarian in Florida who was training guide dogs using uh, prison. And she thought that would be a great idea, looked into it further, and there was nothing like that in New York State. So she um, uh, went to Department of Corrections, went to several guide dog schools, and everywhere she got, no, that's a ridiculous idea. There's no way we're sending prison uh, puppies into prisons. And eventually she became, uh, she, she great tenacity, she worked and worked, and eventually um, Uh, found a very progressive superintendent at Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, and she said, let's make it a pilot program, let's give it a shot. So Bedford here in Westchester County? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. What was the concern? A security concern that the dogs will be trained to bite the guards, or what? Well, there's all sorts of concerns. Bringing dogs into prison, working with with inmates, you worry about, um, you think about people that don't know, don't know us, don't know our program, and and how um, strict we are. Their obvious concerns are the safety of the dogs. Um, It's a security uh, concern 
concern for the facility because it's an unknown life in the facility, an unknown entity. So therefore, um, and security likes things pretty much by the book and pretty much straight. Well, when you have dogs and a puppy needs to go at 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom, officers really don't like unlocking the door and letting inmates <laughs> oh, outside. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So and there's Car- a lot of concerns that we've had to overcome to make our program successful. So Carl, they truly are puppies then. They're young. Absolutely. The puppies enter the prison as eight-week-old little puppies. They know nothing. They don't know their name. They're not housebreaking, not broken, nothing. And then um, they live uh, with their inmate puppy raiser 24-7. They sleep in the cell with them. They go to all their programs and all their work assignments, and they're trained throughout the day and throughout the months and the years. So they're very close to the person who's training them. Absolutely. absolutely. So how do they feel when they graduate and then the puppy goes to somebody who, a veteran who will use the dog for service? How does that inmate, how does that person feel? It's bittersweet. People ask that all the time. That's probably the biggest question. And it really is bittersweet. Um, The inmates that are in our program work very hard to get on our program and then eventually um, earn dog, earn a dog to work with, and they work with that dog, as, as I said, for two years. Um, the bond is extremely strong, and because our program is so tight and so one-on-one with the inmate and the dog, creating that human-animal bond, mm-hmm. the dog then transfers that to his disabled veteran when he graduates. The inmate, as I said, it's bittersweet. He knows he's, the dog was not his to keep. He knew he had a job to do, um, but he still misses his best friend. And they can get a new puppy if they still wish to remain in the program and they want to start well, over. Well, who trains the inmate? I'm the senior instructor. I'm in a different correctional facility every day of the week doing dog training classes. And we have four other instructors and in puppies behind bars. Let's My take it goodness. one step at a time, Carl Rotans, uh, senior instructor of puppies behind bars. Um, you have these lab, what kind of pu- puppies are there again? They're Labrador lab- Retrievers. Labrador Retrievers. And how are the inmates chosen? Are these the mm-hmm. trustees that they'd say in the old prison pictures? The, the, the or, or we get a whole spectrum, you know, from bank robbers to killers to tax evaders. How do they chosen for this? Program? Sure. The, the program is considered an honors program. So the inmates are pre-screened by the facility, need to be recommended by the facility. Um, inmates who are interested need to write a letter of interest um, that they want to join the program. Um, and then they go through that screening, as I said. And then they go through a screening by Puppies Behind Bars and in an interview with us. And we ask them a series of questions. Usually when I'm interviewing um, a, a prospective candidate, I'll have a dog in the room. I'm very interested to see how they relate, how they connect with the dog, what they do um, with the dog, what kind of contact they're making. And you kind of just then go make a gut decision and um, and give them a try. They're in the program for a minimum of six to nine months of training before they receive their own puppy. These are the inmates, right? Or yes. six to nine months of training? Correct. Before mm-hmm. they get the puppy. Before they're even considered for their first puppy. So there is, there is enormous commitment there. Absolutely. They have and then to prove you have themselves. The, and you have the opportunity to see if they're going to work out or not. Absolutely. And if any time it's not working, at any time um, uh, they haven't handed in homework, at any time they haven't done a test. And on all the, for all their paperwork, for example, they need a 70% or better on everything. If they get less than a 70% on two papers, they're out of the program automatically. Mm. So it's very strict. A lot of rules about puppies behind bars. Um, and we have to. We have to be very careful with our puppies. And the work that they're doing is serious, serious dog training. It's at a 
very high level. So we need people who are willing to make that commitment and take this as as um, professionally. Now, at the top of the show, you mentioned not only was it for service dogs who are helping disabled veterans, specifically people with health concerns or, or people that need physical yes. um, assistance, but you also mentioned for bomb detecting. Detect what? What? Uh, Correct. Help me out here. What was Correct. the other explosive term? detection canines? Explosive can. Okay. Uh, how do how do they get trained for that? And we'll, we'll get back yeah. to the other amazing things they'll do up for the veterans. But how do they get trained for the bomb detection? So, well, our EDC program, Explosive Detection Canine, came about after the res- as a result of 9/11. We're based in in Manhattan, in New York City. And, okay. And as I said, our president and founder, Gloria Gubrastoga, she was very concerned, obviously, as everyone uh, was, particularly people in New York, after 9/11. 9/11. And so she thought, what can we do to what can we do to help? And we got many, many calls from law enforcement agencies all over the United States because our reputation for guide dogs is very well known. And they asked, do you have any release dogs? Do you have any dogs that didn't make it? Do you have any dogs you can donate to us? And actually, we didn't. So Gloria said, maybe we should actually begin a new program and actually train dogs specifically to become explosive detection canines. And nobody was doing it. Puppies Behind Bars is the first organization in the world that actually took eight-week-old puppies and designed a program specifically to train those puppies to become explosive detection canines. All right, those of us like myself are old enough to remember Lassie. They would give Lassie like a piece of cloth and say, go find Billy, go Lassie, go. Mm-hmm. Now you don't bring a stick of dynamite into the prison and say, no. this is what a rover, this is what dynamite smells like, and then just happen to leave it lying there for the prisoners to no. sort of blow a hole in the side of the exactly. prison wall. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that was the big concern with the prisons when we first um, introduced the program the to them. Matter? They said, how can you train them without bringing the explosives mm-hmm. actually in? And what we do is we don't actually train them for the explosives. We train train them to sniff and to search and do search patterns. We take a, one specific toy that the puppy will become fixated on, and we train the dog with that. So therefore, they learn how to search, they learn how to sniff, they learn how to keep going and going and going and find. Now, Carl, and are most of these dogs in the explosive program, are they also Labrador Retrievers? Yes, they're all yeah. Labrador Retrievers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, we're going to find out more about uh, Carl Rohans and his fascinating work with this puppy behind bars in just a moment. But first, let me remind our listeners, they're in tune with Radio Rotary on the air and around the world by podcast on iTunes and at RadioRotary.org. My name is Jonah Treboss and my co-host is Sarah O'Connell. And our very special guest is Carl Rotans, Senior Instructor of Puppies Behind Bars. And Sarah, who keeps us on the air this, this week on Radio Rotary? Well, this week, Radio Rotary is brought to us by Rotary District 7210 and the Rotary Clubs of Congress Valley Cottage. Highland, Hyde Park, Kinderhook, Tri-Village, Middletown, Millbrook, Newburgh, and New City, and of course, Rotary International. Absolutely, and we'll be back with more Radio Rotary after these important messages. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, on our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary, we believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary. Humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. 
Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel. CPAPC is a full-service accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. JGS specializes in business succession planning, including ownership transition, management transition, as well as family and non-family transitions. The JGS staff works alongside you to solve the problems of your specific business or personal situation. JGS is conveniently located on Route 211 in Middletown, New York. To learn more, please contact JGS at 845 or visit them on the web at www.jgspc.com. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel, your essential partner in business. Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell, and welcome back to this second segment of Radio Rotary. I am joined here by my co-host, Jonah Trebowasser, and today we're talking about a fascinating topic. Number one, it, it has to do with animals. Um, Carl Rotan, who is the senior instructor of Puppy Behind Bars, is sitting with us and talking about this revolutionary program, really, where um, puppy dogs, mostly Labrador retrievers, are taken into the correctional to the prison systems, and the prisoners and the puppies are both trained to produce dogs who then go out into the veterans, disabled veterans community and assists these wonderful people in, in our communities that have served their country who need personal care, who are disabled in certain ways. And you rattled off at the top of the first segment some of the things that dogs can do. Let's just review that because right, for it's those amazing. those who are joining us late. Carl, what, what sure. do these do, dogs do for the veterans? Sure. The service dogs um, that are trained in Puppies Behind Bars um, learn over 90 different commands and tasks. And they'll do such things as open and close doors, so it turns lights turn lights on and off. They will uh, take dishes from the table, drop them in the sink. Um, they'll take their shoes and socks off. They'll even dial 911 on the phone. Now, that, that, that's amazing, all right, uh, that it's they can do cool all stuff. that. And, and how do they get trained in the prison do all these miraculous uh, tricks we have well they're not tricks it is work it is, okay. we make a big <laughs> distinction in puppies on bars these are working dogs right um, but they uh, we have dog training classes so I'm one of the instructors and, and uh, instructor goes into correctional facility at least one day a week so we're there for a minimum of six hours a week running dog training classes we check the dogs check their progress um, and we set short term and long term goals for each inmate uh, for what we'd like to see the dog doing by next week at the end of the month in six months. Um, and so we, it's heavily monitored and we work with them very, very closely. Now, just uh, as an example, do you have like a, a mock-up of a kitchen at the prison facility and then you have, and the president shows the dog what he wants done with the command, like, you know, bring me a coffee cup or something along those lines? Right. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we have, uh, in each of our training rooms, the facilities have provided a, uh, a room for us. And so then Puppies Behind Bars has, has done some work and gotten in some equipment. Um, for, for example, wheelchairs. We have multiple wheelchairs because the dogs have to learn wheelchair work because their veterans might be, uh, that they're placed with, they're eventually, uh, our eventual client that they work with may be missing legs So in, in, in a wheelchair. And so therefore, the dogs need to be very comfortable and be able to work with wheelchairs. They'll have, as you said, a kitchen-type setting, be able to open and close the washer and dryer, take clothes in and out, take a bottle of water out of the refrigerator, close the refrigerator, then turn the light off in the room and come out in the living room and bring the bottle of water to you, um, which is better than most of our kids do. Now, the bit about calling 911 absolutely fascinates mm -hmm. me. I can understand if the veteran, or the, in your case, the prisoner who's training the dog, gives a command, call police, call ambulance, and the dog punches 911, and the person can yell into it. But what if the veteran has fainted? You know, again, and, I, I go back to my days watching Lassie in the 50s, where Lassie would come up to the farmer and bark, 
and, and, and pull on his, his, mm-hmm. his coat sleeve to go out to find where little Timmy had fallen in the well. L- but let's talk about real life. How does this happen? And that's, that's a great yeah. question, Joni. You're right on track with us. And that's what the dogs are actually signaled to. If the uh, veteran can ask, dial 911 or ask them to get help, they could dial the phone themselves. So the dogs are actually trained. If they go into a flashback, if they fall on the floor, the dog automatically knows they run to the next room where the phone is, and they take the the, the phone off the receiver, dial 911, run back to their their partner who's lying on the floor, and rest their head on the on the uh, veteran's chest until help arrives. That of course, is when, amazing. Yeah, 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 Isn't when, that when amazing? The police, uh, get a 911 call where there is no response, they can trace it back to the location they send out because mm-hmm. they assume that somebody is fainted. Is in distress yeah. so that yeah. the, the dog doesn't have to do anything but just make the, get the call. Absolutely. And what we recommend for, for our veterans who need this task is they're actually on a list with 911. So therefore, they know that there's a, a okay. service dog in the house. And so if there isn't anyone on the line, that means the dog made the call. And to get someone out there, they need help. Now, let's just, again, go back and review a little bit the difference between a guide dog and a service dog. Because Jonah and I did have the honor of meeting a service dog. And we learned a lot that there is a distinction there, Carl. Can you tell our listening audience what the difference is? Well, guide dog is is uh, a dog that works with a visually impaired or blind individual. And service dog pretty much handles all other disabilities. And or therapy dog. Maybe I should thro- throw that into the mix. Yeah, our, Red Hook also Club, our Red Hook Club has a therapy dog. Program. Uh, a, a golden retriever that goes into the hospitals and, and the, the kids who are awaiting surgery sort of calm down when they play with the dog. Mm-hmm. And we've had stroke victims who haven't spoken, who haven't moved their arms, who, who pet the dog and, and start talking to it. It's, it's absolutely amazing. It's amazing. Dogs are amazing. Amazing, but there is a difference, and these right. dogs are not pets. Where therapy dogs and guide dogs have a different dynamic, not right. just with their with the person that they're with, but also with the general public. But but for the listening audience, this is very important. When you see a service dog, and they're and they're identified as we spoke before by a vest and a lots of times patches and things, and you're not supposed to address the dog and pet the dog, which is hard to do when you're dealing without with permission. these breeds yeah. without permission and whatnot, with a with a lab and a golden retriever those types of dogs. It would be the the breed that is the most um, has the, I don't know, I don't want to say aptitude, but the one that lends itself the most to this type of effort. Well, they have great public perception of Labrador retrievers is extremely positive. It's just a fun, silly, happy dog. Everybody loves Labradors. And that's one of the main reasons why they're service dogs, because when a dog like this walks into a restaurant, is in a crowded movie theater, is in a crowded airport, it does not alarm other people. It Mm -hmm. just goes through without much notice. And so that's what we're really looking for, to not cause disruption for the disabled veteran so that he he or she can go about their tasks and their daily lives. And that's really why we ask people to not pet the dogs because they're having a difficult time and they're just trying to you know pick up some items at a grocery store go to the bank get their life's tasks done and the dog needs to focus and the dog needs to focus and work Uh with them uh Carl Rotan senior instructor of puppies behind bars how many facilities do you have uh, prisoners training these uh, animals in we're in six different correctional facilities in three states and currently we have about 80 dogs in program okay can you just say a couple of the uh, facilities in our immediate area in the Hudson Valley sure we're in four uh, uh, in, in New York, we're at Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, Fishkill Correctional Facility, 
Otisville Correctional Facility, and we just began the program in Downstate Correctional And a facility. footnote that Bedford Hills was the first one that opened their doors and their minds to this concept, what, yes. 16 years ago when the when this organization was founded, and you are a nonprofit organization. We're a nonprofit organization, and we take no money from federal or state governments, and as a matter of fact, we're a guest in any of the correctional facilities in which we operate, which means we're a separate program. We're part, not part of DOCS. So how are you and funded, so we then? are funded strictly through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and grants, and, and how the correctional they... facilities put no money into us. We provide the instruction, we provide the instructors, um, even the books, the, the papers, the supplies, the dogs, the dog food, veterinary care, everything. So we cost no money to the correctional facilities or the taxpayers. It's a free program. So how would somebody, if they wanted to contribute to your cause or wanted to find out more about it, what's the contact information? That's great. We have a, a, a good website, puppiesbehindbars.com, and people can log on there um, and find out more about our organization. Give that website once again, Carl. That's puppiesbehindbars.com. Folks at home, get a pencil and paper. We'll repeat that before the end of the show. You know, Carl, I have a, a vision of some really tough, hardcore prisoners sort of melting into really nice guys around yeah. these dogs. Have you seen that? Absolutely. It's really incredible to see the transformation. Um, you know, prisons aren't places that are known for their, their compassion. And not a so, lot of warmth. Absolutely not. And bringing eight-week-old little Labrador pup puppies into the facility changes everything. So even people who aren't in the program, um, it changes and really softens and makes the facility a much less toxic place. Um, we've trained people and I've worked with people, you know, big guys who've been in, in for 20 years lifting weight, tattoos all over. Someone that you would, if you saw him on a dark uh, dark street, you'd turn and go the other way and place an eight-week-old little puppy in his arms and just start sobbing. Absolutely, start crying, right? turns to mush. Let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. The uh, veterans that uh, uh, use these dogs uh, to help them out in their daily life, who have been, these dogs have been trained uh, in puppies behind bars in our prisons. How would the veteran connect with you? How do you qualify for one of these dogs? Because we probably have some disabled veterans listening to us this morning. Absolutely. The, vet, the veteran groups that we're working with are veterans from uh, returning from Iraq and Afghanistan um, and who've been through a lot, many with PTSD, but also uh, explain what that is real post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. So, so we have dogs that are actually psychological service dogs. And then we work with many individuals who, due to their injuries, are missing limbs, missing legs, missing arms, et cetera, traumatic brain injury. And so our dogs, their tasks help them as well. So they can get on our website if someone is interested or someone knows someone in this situation uh, that a service dog could help and they can log on to our website and find the application um, to become a client on our website. And Give us the website one more time. It's puppiesbehindbars.com. And is there expense to the veteran? No expense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the dogs are valued at about $30,000 when wow. they graduate. And we fly the veterans in, put them up for two weeks, uh, all their room and board, train them how to work their fully trained service dog, and then fly them back home. And then we provide lifetime support. We come out every six months or at least once a year, check up on them, check on the dog, make sure everything's going well, and it costs them nothing. And what if someone wants to help you out in the prisons and, and, and you know they like playing with animals? They want to give these prisoners a break by uh, getting them doing something productive. Mm -hmm. Do you have volunteers sure, who work in the prisons? Sure, we have a lot of volunteers. Workforce, over 200 volunteers and puppies behind bars who work on socializing the dogs, bringing the dogs out into the community. Carl Rotan, Senior Instructor of PuppiesBehindBars.com. Thanks so much for joining us on Radio Rotary, and thanks for everything you do. 
great. Thank you, John. And who do we thank for bringing us this week? Well, this week, Radio Rotary is sponsored by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Poughkeepsie, Arlington, Red Hook, Rhinebeck, and Walk Hill East. This is Errol Collins. This is Jonah Trebowson. I invite you to tune in again next week at the same time for another edition of Radio Rotary. The 1,200,000 women and men of Rotary have accomplished extraordinary things. They have helped people grow food in communities around the world. They've taught millions of people to read. They've brought clean water to villages, worked toward world peace, and have nearly eradicated a crippling childhood disease from the face of the planet. But here's the thing. Each of those 1,200,000 women and men know they could accomplish so much more if only they were 1,200,000 and one. Find out what an impact one person can make. Learn about Rotary membership at rotary.org. Rotary, humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org.